problem of the abuse of women, especially women journalists online, is getting worse. At least that seems to be the consensus emanating from a number of studies and a trending issue in the news cycle as we celebrated International Women's Day earlier this week. A joint survey by UNESCO and the International Center for Journalists reveals that 73% of women journalists reported having faced online violence while doing their job. It's a frightening statistic. But it also tallies with another UN investigation which shows that in general, the pendulum is swing swinging against women's rights. Worryingly, even among some women too. A study of 75 countries, 90% of those surveyed, it showed, are prejudiced against women in one way or another. Here with me today to discuss these escalating attacks is Zimbabwean journalist, researcher and free expression advocate Rihanna Masters, who spends much of her time monitoring media rights and freedoms on the continent. I'm your host, Gwen Lister, for this 26th edition of the NMT's Free Speak podcast, in which we discuss all things media. Welcome, Rihanna, on the line from Harare. Thank you, Gwen. It's really good to be here and especially to be discussing such a critical issue and very important um, topic on the continent. It's absolutely vital. And Rihanna, just to dive in, I noted that in the UN report on their Gender Social Norms Index, that Zimbabwe, of all countries, showed the highest amount of prejudice towards women. So I guess it's small wonder then that women and journalists online are abused to such a horrific degree. How prolific do you think this problem is in Africa generally? So, Gwen, I think we should start from the fact that COVID-19, uh, you know, and everything that went with it, the regulation, the lockdown, really highlighted the violence against women. Right. Um, you know, across the, well, globally, to be honest, but also across the continent. And, you know, the, the country that stands out to my mind is South Africa. You know, all of a sudden, uh, calls to call centers doubled. Um, messages to that, uh, I think it's the um, a command center doubled. You saw women going in to um, seek medical treatment. So, you know, that's very, what's happening offline in society is very reflective of what then takes place online. Exactly. And that, yeah, that's something to notice. Um, and, and what was interesting is that many of the protests um, you know, over this time was also against, you know, the violence that women were seeing. And it was women who were going out on the streets to protest. I mean, even in your own country, right. um, when that young woman was killed, women went out on the streets. So I think there was, for me, I see signs of both. A kind of increase in violence and abuse against women, but also a time when women found voice yes. and started becoming more vocal about the issues. Okay. And you're right, the situation in Zimbabwe is grim, uh, particularly, but it's very reflective of the trends that we are seeing in society. There's been more attacks against women, 
especially women in politics. I see that growing worldwide. And while men, you know, and there's always been this argument that, look, the online attacks are against men and women. That's true. I mean, you're seeing an increase of that. But what we need to understand is that while there is the violence, online violence against men, the online violence against women takes on other undertones. Right. You know, it's sexualized. It is racialized. It's very misogynistic, you know. Um, women are doxxed. And, you know, with culture plays a strong part in it. And religion. It, it has a profound effect, impact on the way women... Culture and religion have a very profound impact on the way women are discussed. Absolutely. Inside the media, by the media, uh, through the media, you know. There's always this moral obligation on women, which is not astringent on men. You know, in headlines, the responsibility suggests that women are responsible for the crimes that take place against them. And I don't think I'll ever, you know, there was very interesting... Um, topic that was raised in Uganda um, by a number of organizations, Women's Uganda Network, um, Policy.org, a whole lot of uh, various organizations in Uganda because there was a woman whose pictures, intimate pictures, was shared online. And she was held responsible and she was being prosecuted for it. And so they changed the nature of the language and the narrative. Right. You know, they basically said, look, we're not going to call it revenge porn. Because then you're intimating that this is pornographic. Right. But why should a woman not be allowed to share her intimate pictures? The fact is that when it was shared by somebody who now had some kind of vendetta against her, it was shared without her consent. And we need to talk about that so that we deal with the crime in that way. Yeah? So I think those are interesting things, you know, especially when you talk about, mm, she was attacked because of what she wears, the way she talks, the way she conducts herself. But, you know, these attacks are about power, and that's the thing we have to keep conveying as we continue with our conversation. I think that's very important, Rihanna, and also really uh, the point you made that we're talking about online violence specifically now against women, but that's a reflection of what is happening in, call it, real life. Um, and, of course, we know the consequences to women. I mean, even online, uh, they can be physically harmed, uh, they can be stalked, psychologically damaged, and at the end of the day for women journalists afraid of doing their jobs. I think it's, it's worthwhile noting the example of Lindsay Dentlinger, of ENCA in South Africa. Um, we, we, I think we all acknowledge that Lindsay made a mistake, but the kind of mob justice that followed, uh, including threats of rape against her, is just totally unacceptable. I was stunned to see when I looked at the comments that as many women as, as men were going after her. Um, on the other hand, of course, there are many other jo women journalists doing their jobs online and suffering in in silence. So maybe do you have any comments on the uh, case of Lindsay Dentlinger and, and what can media employers do to better protect women journalists online or in real life? 
Yeah, actually, you brought up a very interesting case because, you know, it's it's a case that has a lot of nuances to it, um, especially, you know, on the, in this part of the world. Yes. And, um, you know, yes, she made a mistake. And a lot of us are not defending her mistake at all. Um, but what the NCA, what I noticed almost immediately in the aftermath of this mistake was the fact that their protection of her was very lukewarm, right. the nation that was, was very lukewarm. And what I think they should have done is really face it uh, head on. And, you know, sometimes we do have our biases in many ways that we ourselves are not aware of. And Absolutely. it's something that that's an open conversation to start having. You know, we should have had that conversation, especially in the context of, you know, Black Lives Matter. What do we do unconsciously? What do we do consciously? And in that conversation, we can bring up the issue of how men speak about women as well. You know, so it could have been a, a conversation that could have had, you know, could have been done more in depth. And I think ENCA failed to do that. They tried to gloss over it and find the appropriate language. And that was their biggest mistake. Exactly. Uh, because then they, it increased the attacks because there was a feeling, especially in South Africa, that, look, you're not respecting this, this issue at all. And especially here in our country where we are already having, we have such deep divisions, you know, a post-apartheid kind of, you know, um, behavior that's still being perpetuated. And knowing, seeing her body of work and seeing her as a journalist, you do realize that she, she has a professional attitude. Um, you know, she conducts herself pretty well in, in other situations. So, you know, let's extract this and unpack, and unpack it for the rest of us. So that was the first mistake I think they made. And yeah, women journalists are suffering in silence. Absolutely. And, you know, as you say, they are more, they, there's a tendency to physically harm them more. But this language that you see online against women is so aggressive, you know, and it's not something that people will do in public. It's easy to do it online. You're not visible. You're not physically confronting that person face to face. But can you imagine them trying to say it on air, you know, in front of the person Absolutely. in a televised broadcast? It wouldn't happen because then it would be more insidious, you know, it would be far more, you know, vile kind of behavior that will be called out instantly. Yes. I, I think that that's, you know, what's critical here. And the other thing is, Rihanna, just to add to that, I think we need to note that Lindsay herself has apologized, but in a sense the damage has been done. And as far as I can establish from her Twitter account, she hasn't tweeted since the incident. So, again, uh, people have succeeded in silencing a voice which, as you say, given her body of work over many decades, um, is is that she's essentially a good journalist and made this one mistake and is being silenced because of it. But, of course, they're also much publicized international cases. Um, if we look at someone like Maria Ressa um, of Rappler in the Philippines, who showed that apparently in a survey about all the tweets and, and the fa uh, Facebook posts about her, uh, her feeling is that Facebook um, is less safe than Twitter. 
Now, I'm not on Facebook, but on the other hand, I've seen some pretty vicious stuff on Twitter, and Lindsay's case is an example in point. Uh, what are your observations about abuse as it pertains to various social media platforms in Africa? Is one worse than yeah, another? I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, should we be doing comparisons was my question. You yeah. Know? Um, I saw the attacks on Maria Ressa, and I tell you, they're attacking her at every level. It's about her race. It's about her gender. It's about her sexual identity. You know, they're attacking her in every way possible, right. you know, in all the isms that you can think of. Mm -hmm. But for me, I, I really was quite upset about the comparison. And that's where the problem lies. Uh, you know, should we be talking about women are attacked more than men? They, they're less safe. Um, Facebook is, you know... Worse than Twitter. <laughs> more, yeah, is worse than Twitter. Shouldn't we be talking about the fact that, listen, should we be attacked? Should right. just be attacked? Right. Should people be attacked for their opinion? Okay? They should be castigated for something they do, such as, you know, Lindsay, Lindsay made a mistake. Yes, let's call out the mistake. But should we be attacking her and wanting to rape her? How less is that a crime? How much less of a crime is that? And, and when you keep doing the comparisons, you then don't focus on what the problem is. And the problem is increasing violence especially online violence, because you can hide behind your anonymity. I can never say that word. Anonymity, anonymity. yes, and it's sidelining yes, the yes. truth, you know. Exactly, and sidelining the issue. Right. And what we're seeing is that in society, it, you know, because of the culture of impunity, you're seeing more and more attacks against women. You're seeing the fact that it, it's coming from political leadership. You know, um, when you talk about Zimbabwe, I think there's that very um, well-known incident on the stream on Al Jazeera when one of, you know, um, our politicians is actually the director of information and publicity in Zana PS, swore under his breath, right. thinking, you know, he was not on camera. Is that acceptable behavior, especially when you are in a very powerful arena? the arena of politics. Is that the kind of behavior you should be conveying? And those are the conversations we should be having. That where is this violence coming from? Why is it being allowed to be perpetuated? Why is there so much misogyny? And, you know, should that not be diminishing? Why is it increasing? Exactly. And, and really, just to get to the root of the problem, and as you say, not sort of intellectualize about where it may be worse or better, but also Rana Ayub, who is also another much vilified woman journalist online and a Washington Post columnist, recently said, and I quote, there's nothing more liberating than speaking the truth, unquote. And this may be so, and that's what we should be doing. But of course, that comes at a great cost to women personally. Um, and I often think about, obviously, Rana and Maria and so on are in the international spotlight because of what's been happening to them. But I'm sure that this is a lot worse, and I think you've already alluded to that, um, in other countries where those women journalists just don't have that kind of uh, world stage, if you like, um, for their cases to be much publicized. What do you think about that, Rihanna? Does it bear out your, your surveys? I, I, yes, you know, looking through 
um, you know, looking at violations across the continent, um, the personalities, you know, the celebrity right. um, personalities tend to get much more attention. And as a result, you then don't look at the issue more holistically. Exactly. Um, but in, in particular, the, vicious, the attacks against Maria and Rana have been vicious. But the thing is, you also have to look at the attacks themselves. Rana Ayub is reporting in an area, an area of conflict. Exactly, you know? and her truth getting out is what is, what is, you know, by attacking her, you then attacking the issues that she's bringing out. Exactly. So, yeah, so that that's part of you know this equation that we're looking at in this part of the world. What you're seeing is, as it is, women are very reluctant to get onto this new platform, and for that very reason, not just about being bullied online, but you know, they are always being held accountable. Uh, for anything that they do, yes. and in a way that is magnified, that is not magnified for men. So in politics, you know, they have to think so carefully be- before they give out a sun- soundbite, because that soundbite will haunt them for a long time. Men can say, you know, male politicians can say the most ridiculous things. And people you laugh know, at them. Doesn't you have know. To make sense. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to make sense, but, you know, uh, they will always be sought out for those sound bites, you know, and and they will never be ridiculed in the same way. They it won't come to them ten years later. They won't be haunted by it ten years later. A woman will even fix. No, that's and absolutely so, right. Yes. Yeah. So so you know their reluctance to go online is then magnified by the fact that they are then attacked online. Um, you know, so. So, and, and if they're not in the spotlight, and, and the thing is, like you pointed out much earlier, that they had attacked as much by women as they are by men. So, you know, that, that patriarchy, we absorb it. In the same way that you saw Lindsay, you know, sort of unconsciously, you know, being biased, it, that's the same way that women are then perpetuating those biases without really thinking about the attacks that they are involved in and are part of. Exactly. And so, yeah, so we should be having different conversations and we should be looking at this from different perspectives, you know, and looking at issues of tolerance, you know, versus, you know, hate speech, you know. We, the bigger conversation is free expression. Like, how far can you go with your free expression? How can you, you know, how do you expand tolerance for other views? And right now, if you look at the politics of the continent, you can see that there, is, there isn't that tolerance in any kind of view that's different to yours. You're either with us or against us. It's a very much that kind of attitude. Absolutely. And so, yes. yeah, so then it goes online and it's expanded to, you know, so women as well, you know, if you hold a different viewpoint, if you tend to push a certain argument and you are, you know, you have, you're on solid ground. You're not tolerated because of all the other intolerances. That, that's more of what I see. Absolutely. And, you know, Rihanna, I've always felt, I think all of us need to dig deep, everyone that is, because 
I think at the end of the day, all of us have prejudices of some kind, or bias, whatever you like to call it. I prefer the word prejudice because it's stronger. And I think we need to dig deep and say, what are those prejudices and how do I deal with them? They may be fairly simple things. I don't like tall people. I don't like fat people. I don't like people from Southeast Asia, whatever it may be. I think everybody has some element of that. And, and, and you're right that this is what really needs to be done. We need to dig deep and find a way to, to tolerance. Another finding of the UN report, coincidentally, was that a majority of sources of online violence, nearly 60%, in fact, are anonymous. And this always bothers me because, of course, it makes it difficult to investigate and even identify the perpetrators, as should be the case. So that results in a lot of impunity for some of these vicious attacks. What, just maybe briefly, because I don't want to get sidetracked into that arena, but what do you think the role and responsibility of tech giants is in this regard? And, and, and how can civil society play a role? Um, I, I think we can sum this up very, very simply. If you are making billions out of your platform, then surely you should be able to invest some of it in taking protective measures against online violence. And you can do it in an impactful and effective way. That, that, that's the reason you've become this, you know, tech giant. Right. So, yeah, so then let's use that technology to support what is a flaw in the use of your platforms. That, that's what I would say, very simply. Exactly. And maybe also, it's something I always stress, but I don't think it's finding much resonance, is rather than after the fact investigating all these awful things, looking somehow at, uh, before people go online, what can be done to, to make people aware of ethical codes, as you say, of the, of the bounds of intolerance, um, and, and, and looking at your rights end where mine begin and vice versa, that type of effect. But leading into that, um, the silencing of voice, women's voices online obviously has a chill effect on press freedom and free expression and ultimately democracy itself. So, Rihanna, from your perspective, what advice would you give to young women, and young women journalists who are now going online? What coping mechanisms, because it seems almost inevitable uh, that people are going to go after them in one way or another for whatever they've said or done, what kind of coping mechanisms could you suggest uh, for them to, to be as, if you like, uh, as immune as possible from, from all the attacks? Well, first of all, let's start off with the question that you asked earlier and which I don't think I responded to adequately, that when you have people like Mary, uh, Maria Ressa, Rana Ayub, Fred Hafaji being attacked, you know, right. you're very well-known personalities, and they are intimidated, you know, by these online and very vicious attacks. Um, I think it's to try and under, to, re, to look at their stories, to understand those stories, okay? That, that's very important. Right. And to get a sense of what they went through. There's numerous tools at the moment being offered on a variety of platforms. You need to look for them. I think that's definitely something I would advise all people to do, um, whether they're male journalists or female journalists. Um, I think it's to understand and identify the type of attacks that are out there, okay? Um, 
because you're better able to deal with it when you know. Is it a political action? Is it someone trying to, you know, to stop you from pursuing a story? Is it just an opportunistic threat? You know, is it misogynistic behavior? And you know, what is violating you? Is it uh, harassment? Is it some kind of sexual harassment? So identifying it will give you a better, you know, tool to be able to deal with it. Right. Um, I think there's a, there's there's need for cultural shift, you know, and there has to be there have to be more efficient systems that address these kind of barriers that are out there. And we haven't had those conversations as a collective, you know, civil society, the media itself, men and women. Um, and, you know, again, remember what we said earlier, no comparison. Let's talk about what's happening. Let's have these real conversations. Um, I, I want to be trying as practical as possible. I think you've also got to be very, you have, from what I and read from other um, users and people who have been attacked, you have got to develop some kind of thick skin. Absolutely. And otherwise, I think, and, and Gwen, you know that just even from your journalism, when you first entered a very male-dominated field. Right. You know, um, you, and that doesn't mean you lose a sense of who you are as a woman or or get lost in that system or become part of the system. It means you you know, being conscious of it and dealing with it with grace, but being firm about being able to say, hey, listen, I'm not tolerating that and I'm not going to be intimidated by that. Exactly. I think that's the biggest issue. The whole aim of these attacks is to intimidate you. And I feel that often, even if you are sort of, you know, upset by it, angered by it, um, almost cowed by it, you still go out and you never show that. You can deal with it in other ways, but out there, you do not allow that intimidation to take away from the work that you are doing or the story that you are working on. You, you actually, people like me, it feels, it makes me want determined to be there, Absolutely. determined to take them on. Yeah, and I, I, I think you're like that too. But look, we don't all have that nature. Exactly. But We're not all tough cookies, you know, but yeah. <laughs> so, but as you say, they do need to develop a thick skin. And I think also, um, Rihanna, the cases of Marina, Maria and Rana and, and, you know, these famous journalists in the world who are being so attacked, I think it's, it's, it's probably good that their cases are much publicized because it does draw attention to the issue and, and, and the sort of magnitude of the problem, which is huge. The other thing is just briefly on women journalists going online, I think perhaps it might be good that they should also, especially, could I say tread carefully, especially in the initial stages as they start out in journalism and stick to uh, uh, journalism online rather than, you know, because I think Social media has done that to all of us. We were journalists once upon a time who didn't express our opinions. We simply did our work and we did our stories, getting our multiple sources and so on. And now <clears throat> here we are on social media and we can say anything about anything as well. So <clears throat> sometimes the line between journalism and also just airing our own opinions, they should be, that's not to say they shouldn't do it, but they should be a little bit circumspect. 
Um, and that probably that doesn't just apply to women journalists. It applies to women online generally. I know you probably think the same. Every now and then one will see a woman in one's ambit posting perhaps a suggestive pose of herself in a bathing costume at a lake. And it may be fine to do, but immediately as a woman, you start to think to yourself, oh my goodness, is she aware that by doing that, uh, people, especially men, are going to come after her and she's going to get some unwanted attention. So, as I say, one's got a kind of nervousness when you watch these these young people go out there not realizing what can exactly come after them. But Rihanna, finally, perhaps right at the end, because I think we're running out of time, unfortunately, we could speak for a week on this, but it seems to me that we live in an era where I would think there is a much more or much deeper consciousness of human rights than there was, say, 20 years ago. And yet, as we've discussed today, intolerance, prejudice and abuse towards women and other minorities has escalated. What is your feeling? Has this intolerance always been there or is it just social media that has amplified it and making us seem as though the problem is so much greater than it was a couple of years back. Your final thoughts. Okay, it, it reminds me of um, this um, something I saw um, um, in a WhatsApp group that you know we did we did we were naughty and when we were teenagers we were naughty too <laughs> just right. that they weren't self to to you know record these uh, moments. Um, I think social media does amplify what what's been there for a long time. However, I'm also going to say that it's the levels of impunity. You know, the systemic violence that you see and abuse is being, a lot of it is being perpetuated by the powerful. Okay? Yeah. And, you know, things happen gradually. If behavior continues going unchecked, then people are going to push the boundaries further and further. So, for example, sexual harassment for a long time, even in our own newsroom, has gone unchecked. Absolutely. Um, let, let's look at look at UN bodies that have been unaccountable for their actions as peacekeepers. You haven't seen any kind of action taken against them. Exactly. Um, the skewed the skewed politics around justice. For example, you know your the head of IMF, Dominic Strauss Khan. You know, but he has not paid the penalty he should. So if you are seeing abuse at that level going unchecked, it is going to filter down. And when you see, you know, for example, and I'll give you a very good example. Here in Zimbabwe, um, over the last few weeks, there was huge discussion about a minister in Zimbabwe who had been calling up women and, um, you know, basically getting sexual favors in return for, you know, in return for many things. But what was interesting was the discussions they were, that were going online. There were a lot of attacks. Um, he was being called out for his behavior. But so were the women. Some of them, they, you know, we don't know what that relationship entails. But definitely there was power play, you know, in those, in, in that, you know, um, relationship. The, what, what was so interesting is that, yes, he's resigned. Minister has since resigned. Yes. What action was taken? What action was taken for his abuse of power? And by the way, 
I think this was a very deliberate ploy to get rid of him. But also, what what is happening at that level? Because there are many men in those positions of power, and I think in some cases also women, in those positions of power who are abusing that power. And that's the conversation that should have been taking place. But he didn't. There were personal attacks on the women. There were personal attacks on him. It got so personal that in all of that, what was wrong and the fact that it was sexual abuse and sexual harassment was lost in that conversation. So I think it's, and it's the level of impunity. You go, even though you commit this crime, okay, your behavior goes unchecked. There is no consequence for it. Absolutely. And online you see that more and more because, you know, it's anonymous. You're not paying. For example, I mean, in South Africa, when, when uh, you know, um, actor, um, Somizi went out and attacked the two journalists who are asking him basic journalistic questions because he is in the public eye. Absolutely. Went out and had a rant on, on social media and then his fans attacked the journalists and said, you know, we'll come to you. And they even talked about harming the families. How are you able to do that and not be checked for that kind of abuse? Of behavior. Absolutely. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where the issue is. But the problem is also it'll, it, it will be caught up in the whole issue of how much do you curtail online and how much of free expression do you allow. And, you know, we've got to understand that and be able to counter those arguments effectively. Um, we've also got to educate ourselves. And we've got to, I think it is about having conversations about these very important things, which we are not having. Absolutely. And also, in a sense, you know, your, the example you've just given, I mean, one would think those people actually do know better. So this is the, the issue which brings us back to human rights. We do know it's wrong. And I mean, things like misogyny, it's a very insidious thing, isn't it? And uh, sometimes it just creeps into things and then obviously grows in stature and, and soon it becomes a huge problem. So people need to just give themselves a reality check and remind themselves, and I think it's a good uh, adage, if you like, to say that, you know, my rights end where yours begin. And if we try to remember that, and as you've emphasized, also sort of engage tolerance, tolerance, tolerance all the time towards women, towards anybody else who's different, that things could be substantially different, and we could have better conversations online where women feel safe to say what they need to say. Rihanna, last word, and then we'll shut down. I think we have to go back to the drawing board and really look at the impact also of culture. Culture has played a huge Very impact critical. on those Very critical. Very critical. You know, and while a lot has evolved, um, the, the position and status of women hasn't. The way they are addressed, the way they are... Um, um, you know, the way they're addressed in, in communities, the way, you know, are they respected? Uh, their roles are diminished, you know? And I think that when that changes and what happens in society changes, you'll see that reflected elsewhere too. I think that's a wonderful note on which to end this podcast. And Rihanna, thanks again for taking the time. Much appreciated. Thank Pleasure, you. Gwen. Wonderful. Thank you, Rihanna.